0: In the olden days, this show was called the Save the Date Wedding Podcast, but now it's the Bride Chiller Podcast. So don't get confused. Just plan a wedding without the stress. Kisses. You're listening to the Bride Chiller Podcast, helping bride chillers and groom
1: chillers plan their wedding minus the bullshit. One podcast at a time.
0: I'm so happy that I coerce this lovely lady back into another episode. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Yay. Dr. Lindsay Vera, thank you so much for joining me again. You were on the show last Monday where we were talking about uh, stress and how to be mindful when planning your wedding, a bit of coping mechanisms. You gave some wonderful points about the, uh, I suppose, the the way we communicate, some of the magic words and phrases that can help us and hinder us when we are communicating in stressful times. It was so helpful, and I know my bride chillers are writing them down and making notes. So get your pens ready, ladies and gents. She's back. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be oh. here. So, my pleasure. Um, Dr. Lindsay, today I really wanted to talk about uh, anxiety. I get a lot of letters from listeners talking about the, the, ang- well, the pre-anxiety about the day, the idea that they are going to be the centre of attention. The focus and how much this freaks people out, and coming from a, I come from a stand-up comedy background, and one of the things people say to me is, "That must be so scary. I can't believe you do that." And I think you know, fine, it's not that hard. But for me, this has been a part of my life for so many years and I have to be mindful, using your magic words, in in the way I communicate to my listeners because I sometimes forget that they don't do that for a living right. and it can be hard to think about standing in front of your family and friends, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really great to have you on today to try and uh, help people think a little bit about how to, I don't know, connect with other people and also be able to compose feel a bit more relaxed about the day and hopefully get some ideas about how to do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, those are really, really good points. And you know, the last episode we talked generally about some of the stress management aspects of planning the big day. um, And tools to put into place, practices to put into place to prevent some of these larger anxiety symptoms from happening or managing managing them as they do come up. But, you know, the other side of that is kind of the next level up is, you you know, if you do experience anxiety symptoms or if they really do develop through the course of this, we are all on the spectrum of anxiety and depression somewhere. We mm. just are. Some of them, some of us have more issues with our mood. Some of us have more issues with anxiety. Whatever that is, that's okay because it's just something that's part of your life experience. But it's important to understand how to deal with that, how to manage it and what it actually means. So, you know, for people who, an event like this triggers maybe a deeper anxiety issue, um, a phobia of being up in front of others, uh, whatever that is, it's important to pay attention to because we want to maximize this day for you really. Um, Whenever we're experiencing more issues with mood or anxiety, there's definitely approaches that can help a lot. My primary recommendation is to talk to somebody one-on-one. That's a therapist, a mental health professional, somebody who uses evidence-based treatment to help reduce those symptoms. That is not medication, Medication does have a time and place and can help, but psychotherapy, specifically cognitive behavioral therapy, really gives you tools to where you're adjusting thoughts, adjusting behaviors that adjusts how your brain functions automatically. And that's really effective.
0: I'm so glad you said that because I think,
1: and I, this is where this
0: all started when uh, your friend Jill uh, heard me talking about mental health and depression, especially. I interviewed a wonderful bride chiller called Melissa, and she had been uh, a long-term listener of the podcast, and then had become married. and I interviewed her about her experience with the wedding, and she sort of was very outspoken, and I think brave in her honesty with her um,
1: depression that she has been. Well, is suffering the right way to say it? Dr. Yeah, Lindsay. I think so. Yeah, yeah, it is it is a suffering experience.
0: And she was very open about it. She sort of said my problem uh was uh, not the depression wasn't necessarily her problem it was how other people reacted to her depression. She was outspoken, she was honest about not necessarily being uh always on the up with things, but she really struggled uh, with how other people reacted, saying, you are getting married. You should be happy. You shouldn't be feeling down. And she's like, well, this is a clinical thing. I can't just switch it on and off because of a life event. But it's great that you talked about going and, and seeking professional help because I know, and I'm happy to talk about this, when I moved to London two years ago, I was in a real rut. I was struggling desperately with missing family and friends, not feeling like I was achieving. I put a lot of pressure on myself and it turned to the got to the stage where my husband, Rich, said, I think you should go and speak to someone because you're not being you and I'm really worried about you. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of shattered, but also completely appreciative of his honesty and how he knew me and how worried he was about me. And I, you know, went to see a counsellor once a week for a six months, and it really changed my perspective and got me out of um, that mo- way of mind. But also allowing myself to talk to someone that wasn't a family or friend really helped me as well, that I could just unload to this guy and
1: <laughs> not yes. have to
0: feel like I was worrying my husband all the time. So yes. I, I'm such such an advocate of 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 that, and it's, it can be hard and scary for some people, but also it's bloody... Uh,
1: really a great thing to do. Absolutely. And it goes back to that acceptance piece of the puzzle is this is happening. Symptoms are there. So if we choose to ignore them or push them down, they're only going to cause a bigger problem. So if we can accept that that is the reality of the situation, that's what we're facing to then take a positive step to help deal with them. Um, I think seeking mental health care can be terrifying for many reasons. One, just the stigma that we have against that Two, seeking out a professional. I think it's very hard to find somebody. It's much more than just a medical doctor, right? You're not showing a weird spot on your skin and getting some ointment. This is talking to somebody. Their personality is going to affect the interaction. You want to feel comfortable opening up with them, and it's really it's a challenge to find somebody and then to stick with the process. Um, So, how do you? you,
0: Sorry to interrupt you, but how do you go about? Because I I basically found Stephen, the guy I went to see on the web because <laughs> yeah. I didn't know anyone here. The British medical system's a little screwy. Um, in Australia I would have had connections, I would have had friends that I could have probably said, you know, who has suggestions of people to see. But if you were like me and, and didn't really have anyone to give you um recommendations, how is it that you would go about finding someone in your area?
1: That's a great question. So you can go through insurance and your insurance company will give you a list of who is a provider. Um, You can also, I don't know if this exists in other countries, but psychologytoday.com. Uh that's a big one here in the US and probably I would guess in other countries as well to find a provider in your your area. What's cool about this is every provider creates a profile. You get to see their picture, their approach to therapy, how long they've been in practice, the rates they charge, if they take insurance or not, that whole thing. So it's almost like a Facebook for psychologists and mental health professionals. The other thing to consider is there's a lot of different levels of mental health professionals. So there can be a licensed marriage and family therapist. There can be a professional counselor. counselor, There's psychologists. There's even psychiatrists who prescribe meds and give therapy. So it can be a confusing process. I'm a little biased as a PhD because the level and rigor of training that I've received has just been I mean, I can't imagine anything else, especially working with somebody's mental health care. But there's a lot of people who have been in practice for a long time and who have that kind of natural knack of connection about them. So I, I would say pick one person, give it three sessions. If it's truly not working, try somebody else. Don't let that be a barrier to proceeding.
0: Yeah. And you've got to feel that connection, I suppose, but also it, it can be challenging. I know when you go and and seek uh, help, it can be challenging to feel comfortable with someone straight away. So it's good that you say three sessions because I, I, I think it's not a natural thing for a lot of people to sit and talk and reveal things about themselves uh, to a total stranger. <laughs> right. Absolutely. It's scary. It really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then also it's freeing because you don't have that connection with them. So I sort of found it good. And, and when I would sort of, uh, you know, talk about feeling guilty about, you know, perhaps wanting to go back to Australia at that stage because I was like, I am not gelling with London. I don't really know what I'm doing wrong. I thought this would be an amazing experience, but I feel bad. And then I remember Stephen saying, well, you don't, can't feel bad in this room. This is not what we're here for. You've got to actually own up to what you're feeling. And, I, and it really empowered me to connect with what I was Truly feeling and yeah, yeah, it was great. So I think it was like a safe place without Absolutely. Saying safe place. Absolutely,
1: and it gives you more <laughs> awareness. So if we're able, like the emotional experience can be so confusing. You just feel icky. There's a lot yeah. of things going on. Emotions can combine. We can even feel happy and loving and angry and resentful at the same time. So that can be very confusing too. In the therapy room, you really exercise creating more of a buffer between the thing that happens and your reaction to it. And in that buffer zone, there's emotions. So properly a labeling an emotion. If we can figure out what exactly we're experiencing, we can get to the thought behind it. And often those thoughts, that dialogue that we so automatically use for ourselves is not not necessarily realistic and balanced and helpful. So the Mm -hmm. way that we're perceiving things, we all have a filter through which we see the world, which has been shaped by our previous experiences and some of our genes that we express, all those things come together. But that filter might not be the most accurate, helpful thing for us. So we do have a personal responsibility, whether we have a formal mental health diagnosis or just stress in our lives to really explore that piece of us and make healthy adjustments so that we can feel better.
0: And stress is one of those things that can really creep up on you and you might not even be aware that you're stressed when you are stressed. And that's pretty freaky
1: when you come to that conclusion. Yes, absolutely. Um, There's, there's, you know, physical sensations to be aware of. I don't know about you, but I realized that I've been sitting working on the computer way too long when I get this nerve pinch in my left mm-hmm. shoulder. And that is often the first sign that I realize my whole entire body is tense and mm-hmm. I've been anxious. So, to be more in touch with your triggers of anxiety, depression, um, that's what a mental health professional helps with as well. So, when do things start to go downhill? Because often we only notice it when things things completely crash and burn.
0: Yes. And you don't want to get to that stage, but
1: sometimes you do get to that stage. Exactly. And we, we always do at some point, you know, and that goes back to, all right, it happened. This gives us evidence, not adding on that layer of self judgment, but what can we do with it? What can we learn from it? How can we move forward?
0: I will give you an example of my stress listeners and Dr. Lindsay. I've been moving house this past week. Uh, I'm hopefully by the time everyone listens to this we will be settled and I won't be freaking out anymore. But I'm working a pretty crazy 9 to 5, which is not a 9 to 5, it's like a 9 to 9 and I'm doing the podcast and I know I care deeply about the podcast and to be honest, more than other day job. Uh but I'm not allowed to say that cuz I'll get sacked. Um <laughs> But I know last week I was we were planning the move. I was worried about not being far enough ahead with the podcast work. And also the day job was really getting a bit feral. And I got up one morning and I was waking up really early. You know, my brain would just wake up at like 10 to five, 10 to six or whatever. And I'm like, all right, I'm awake. Let's get up, do some emails, which is not really, I I would generally just sleep until the alarm goes off. But one morning I got up and I couldn't really quite get my breath. You know, that sort of feeling where you can't get the top of your breath. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Oh Alicia this is not good. Oh whoops. This is not good. I am really struggling here. And I did some yoga. I just put on a DVD and I chilled out a little bit but also Rich said to me, "Oh, I think you I'm a little concerned you're burning the candle at both ends. You got to chill out a bit." But it is that I did go, maybe a year ago, I wouldn't have been aware of that, those feelings. But yes, I did allow myself to get to that point, and I feel disappointed in myself, Dr. Lindsay.
1: Well, right. And you know what's interesting is we learn the most about ourselves through our relationships with other people. So the fact that you know your partner was able to bring that level of awareness and insight to you, which never mm. feels good when either a best friend, a family member, or a partner is going to call out when we're completely behaving out of line. Yeah. We, we get upset at them. We get more righteous in the reasons why we're doing so. But if we can also look at it as we have this intimate connection with somebody who knows us better than most people in the world, if not mm. everybody else in the world, and they have that, you unique ability to help us calibrate, it becomes a very beautiful thing. We might still have a reaction that we don't like it, but if we can take space after that to sit quietly, develop that mindfulness, really re- reflect on what that means, we can attach to the caring intention that they had whenever they expressed it to us and then just grow as a person like you did. It sounds like just becoming yeah. aware.
0: And I think it's nice to have a little, you know, I know for me it's exercise really just is one of my zones of being able to think and be, whether it's just going for a run and I I like listening to This American Life, I like doing something that's completely non-business, non-work related and just, you know, going to that place or doing yoga or whatever. It's having that output as well, which I know a lot of people forget about looking after themselves when they're
1: stressed. It's one of the things they let go of the first. And what's interesting is the way that the brain and body works. So we're creatures based on habit, based on behavior, and Mm. our brain is very changeable and it changes according to our environment. So when we get stressed, we start to engage in behaviors that make sense to us at the time, but are actually reinforcing the problem. So Mm. this cycle is kind of very hard to identify because it's counterintuitive. Um, So that's why a mental health professional can really help you figure it out. But for example, like insomnia, Whenever we're stressed, oftentimes people have difficulty going to sleep, difficulty staying asleep and or waking up much earlier than they wanted to. So what happens, especially if we have problems going to sleep, we tend to lay there and lay there and say, okay, now I'm not going to think of anything. Now I'm just going to go to sleep right now. I'm going to (laughs) relax and go to sleep. What happens is our brain actually gets conditioned to being awake in the bed. So, if we stay there for longer than maybe 15 or 20 minutes, our brain starts to learn to be awake in the bed, and Mm. the association between the bed and sleep gets broken. So that's why insomnia becomes an issue over the long term is because it gets reinforced in that way. So a simple thing of not being able to sleep for 15 minutes means you get out of bed go to a low lit place with maybe a blanket that's a little bit comfortable, but where you're not going to fall asleep and some boring reading material and don't get back in bed until you start to doze off is a good way to reinforce the healthy association.
0: That's such good advice because I hate the, the, you know, there's nothing worse than the lying there. And when I always say, you know, your brain's awake, you're thinking about tomorrow, you're thinking about something that's coming up. And I'm sure a lot of people are listening now going, oh my gosh, that's happening so regularly for me. And it is about hauling
1: us out of bed and doing something else. That's great advice. Absolutely. Our bo- our body responds to our environment and it can be really sneaky. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, Dr. Lindsay Beera is here. She is a uh, an expert. She's amazing. If you haven't heard last Monday's episode, don't stop this episode, but after this episode, go back and listen to it because it's excellent if I do say so myself. After this next break, we are coming back and we're going to talk about mental health and depression and uh, how it may be affecting you or your family. We're going to get to the, uh, I want to say the serious stuff. It's all serious, but I have received lots of emails, especially after Melissa, the interview I said earlier on, the bride chiller that came on and, and talked all about her her depression. I've had lots of people sort of write to me, especially congratulating her for talking about it so openly, but also sort of saying, I'm going through a similar thing or my parents or family and friends are also suffering And it's about how to find, they're asking me, which is why I've got you on, Dr. Lindsay, about (laughs) how to communicate uh, these sort of issues with people who don't get it. I once heard a wonderful uh, comedian called Ruby Wax. She's a British comedian. Um, She did a show on uh, being diagnosed, I think, with manic depression, perhaps bipolar as well. I'm sorry, Ruby Wax, I can't quite remember. But she sort of talked about um, being a performer and having this, condition but how her family and friends especially her friends didn't really get it and how if you break your arm people go oh I'm sorry your arm's sore that's bad but if you say I've got depression a lot of people sort of freak out and don't know how to react to it I think slowly we're getting there but Dr Lindsay this is this is a hard part of um, the world to get
1: used to for a lot of people isn't it? absolutely and you know our family members like we've talked about in the last episode and earlier in this one everybody has their own agenda everybody has their own expectations sometimes we hold the belief of a wedding should be a beautiful thing if you have a great career you should only enjoy it and be grateful for it and in reality there is the positive and negative sides of everything so you know we can't control other people which means We need to figure out how to adjust our behaviors and our thinking, how we reach out to them, how we communicate in a way that might be able to influence how they think and what they do.
0: Do you think it's a matter of saying to people, I mean, this obviously comes down to individual situations and how open you are willing to be, but if you have a friend who, if you're suffering from a mental health, uh, if you've got mental health issues or Ill, an illness, is this something that people should be open to talking about or is it
1: completely up to the individual? I think it's completely up to the individual. There's no reason why everybody in your life should know exactly what's going on. If on the other hand, if you are a very open person and don't have a problem with sharing with everybody, that's okay too, but it's completely the personal choice. Now, this is where we have to get smart with things too, because if we're going to be completely open or completely not open, whatever it is, there's pieces to the picture that we're going to need to be aware about and adjust. So, For example, if we think about in our lives, the social support that we get, there's different types of social support. And we often don't think about this. We tend to go to the same person anytime we need something ever. And Mm -hmm. we're left feeling confused when we get let down repeatedly. But If we look at what types of social support there are, so there's emotional support, somebody who offers empathy, concern, affection, love, trust, acceptance, all those things, in that emotional way to where whenever you walk away from the conversation, you feel completely understood. There's also tangible support, somebody who's going to do an act of service for you. Your lawnmower breaks down, down, they'll come over and mow the lawn. You need to ride somewhere. They're always dependable in that way. There's informational support, maybe somebody who always seems to know a lot about a particular topic that when you go to them, you're left with more knowledge than you than you began with. And that can be really helpful. There's also just companion support. Having somebody to go and do an activity with can sometimes be the most healing thing. Sometimes we just yeah. need to get out and paint something or go on a run, right? We don't yeah. necessarily need to talk that much or need that emotional support. It's an activity that we need to go out and do. The problem is a lot of people don't fit in all of these categories. We all know the person who's really good at listening to our feelings, but would never remember to pay us back $20 or (laughs) would, would never be there for us if our car broke down. Does that mean that they aren't a good friend? No, definitely
0: not. Right.
1: It does mean though, if our car breaks down and they're the one that we choose to call, we're going to be repeatedly let down. Hmm. Also, you know, sometimes people aren't good at the emotional support piece. For whatever reason, maybe based on their past experiences, they can't be open to whatever is happening to you right now. They they have that mental block that says, no, this should be a good thing. She needs to adjust her perspective, positive thinking, positive thinking, and you're left feeling misunderstood. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very important for bride chillers everywhere to get smart about the process and figure out, okay, these are the level the different social supports. Who for me fits in each one of these categories best? And when a stressor comes up, when emotions come up, figuring out for yourself, what do I need right now? Is it emotional support? Is it somebody to problem solve with me? Somebody to just go on a run and then picking from your support network who's going to best match that need?
0: Yeah, uh, uh, such great advice, Dr. Lindsay. I feel I'm nodding so much my head could fall off. (laughs) That's great to hear. Well and I know people listening will be like yes I know that friend you know straight away I as soon as you're talking about the friend that you can you can unload all your emotional shit on I thought about I know which exactly which friend it would be but also there are friends in my life that I think if I said to them you know I I know when I was going through that sort of bout of depression uh, a few years ago that I just didn't unload on and didn't tell because I thought they wouldn't really get it exactly. and I know that a lot of people in Australia, when we went back to visit, said, "Is everything great in London?" And it's that loaded question where you go, "Actually, it hasn't." You know, for a time, it wasn't great. I wasn't having a good time, and they were sort of like, you know, like the like the robot not computing the idea that they've set up their expectations of my experience and don't want to hear anything otherwise, right? So that's it. Totally connected with me that you just what you, exactly what you just said.
1: I know my listeners would be thinking the same thing. Absolutely. There's that level of self-protection that we need to get smart about who we're opening up to. Because some people consistently might show us that it's not a good idea. Um, While also striking that balance of giving somebody the opportunity to possibly respond in a positive way if you are struggling with depression or anxiety in a significant way it's not something that a lot of people talk about so if you do open up you might get the opportunity to be very understood in a way that's going to bring more insight to your situation if somebody else has gone through it and maybe not told you
0: last episode you gave me some wonderful you gave us some wonderful uh ways to vocalize ways to communicate would it be possible for you to help us with with some methods of introducing that as a topic for, like, mental health, depression as a topic to someone that perhaps you haven't disclosed that to before? How do you go about well, not re- revealing
1: but basically entrusting them with this information? So I think, you know, as humans we can connect very well on an emotional level, if it's mm. communicated kind of in the right way. So if somebody already has an idea about a wedding era that should be enjoyed and happy, when they hear evidence that you're not happy, it's going to conflict with that idea and it'll be confusing. I think that the more awareness that we can develop into what emotions we're experiencing and then communicating in that, that in a way that also acknowledges some of the, the The aspects that we value of a situation can be good. So so even acknowledging the conflict and confusion about it. So for example, just kind of like a a sample phrase, I'm struggling a lot because I feel that I'm getting this pressure from people that I should be happy about this. Mm. And I'm also feeling sad and stressed and I don't know what to do with it. Um, Or – Asking specifically for the type of support that you need. I think most people's automatic response is going to be like, you're fine, you're fine. No, yeah. Just focus on the positive. This is a brilliant time of your life. You're going to remember it forever. But they might just need a cue on how to act. If we aren't able to draw those boundaries around ourselves and others, it'll just get messy. Sometimes people have the best intentions, but they're a little lost to themselves. Hearing that a friend is depressed is scary because it means that you don't have control over their experience. and, And that's sad. So I think by saying this is how I'm feeling. I'm not enjoying this at all or whatever it is. I'm having a lot of anxiety or just feeling depressed. I can't get out of bed in the morning. What I need from you is just a listening ear. That gives them an action role to take. Anybody can fill that if they know that that's what's needed from them. If we still kind of just keep it open, they might try to problem solve. They might try to shut it down and focus on the positive. And that'll just leave us feeling misunderstood and them feeling upset that they're not helping.
0: It's a really good point you make about the problem solving. So I do think a lot of people will go into that sort of immediate response is I can fix
1: this when you're not asking them to fix you. You just want them to understand. Right. Sometimes we just need to have somebody say, this sucks. Yeah. Your situation is highly stressful and it makes sense that you're struggling with it right now. Sometimes we just need to be heard and have that reflected back to us. And if that's truly our need, if we can get in touch with that need, we can communicate that need and then others can meet it.
0: I know a lot of people listening might be saying, Alicia, Dr. Lindsay, I'm not depressed. I don't have anxiety. Uh, This, uh, how is this relevant to me? And One of the biggest things I hope people get out of this, and I, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Dr. Lindsay, is this sort of huge statistic about mental health and depression and all the, the umbrella, uh, issues that come with being a human being is that, you know, a very large percentage of people will be at one stage of their
1: lives be connected or personally involved with one of these scenarios oh yes, definitely. So thinking about it from that other side of the spectrum is if you have a friend who's struggling with this, you know, even asking, how can I best help you right now? As soon as they start opening up, if you feel that confusion of what do they need? I don't know how to fix this. Asking them openly, what do you need? How can I best help? I'm here for you kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And sometimes that's all people need. I'm here for you. It means so much when you feel, and I know with a lot of, um, you know, I've had personal, uh, very close connections of people suffering from depression. And I think there is a part of your brain that says, no one's here for me. I'm on my own. And that can yeah. be really devastating. And when you hear, I'm here for you, what do you need? Oh, It, it makes
1: the, the biggest difference. Absolutely. And the friends who are willing to weather through the bad times and the good times, that roller coaster of life that we can't possibly escape. That's an important thing. But in order for us to really maximize and benefit from those close personal relationships, we need to be in touch with what we need and communicate what we need to other people.
0: I often think, Dr. Lindsay, that if you can go through the shittiest of shit times with people, obviously, and that's a, that's a very proper terminology. Yeah, technical term, that. yeah. She's, uh, she's writing that up in the textbook right now. <laughs> um, but you know, you, it makes you stronger. I mean, if you can get through anything like that, I think it really does um, solidify relationships, It makes makes relationships what they really are. And a lot of people haven't been through big challenges, but it's a risk I think is really worth taking. Opening up and and connecting with a friend
1: on that level because it can make all the difference to um, your friendship. Really, definitely, going when we're stretched to the thinnest, we grow the most. This uh, organizing a wedding, one of the biggest events of your life is going to stretch you thin and that's okay. You're gaining a lot of skills along the way. And I think it's a great opportunity to really practice what we talked about, especially last episode of those mindfulness skills. So being in the present moment without judgment. Those ups and downs will happen. It's important to realize that the downs, whenever it does seem just completely unmanageable, overwhelming, you're worried about you know, your mental health or your relationship with others, to just take a pause and notice what that's like. And then just kind of go with it. Watch it happen. Because sure enough, around the corner is going to be a little bit of a lift in the load. Absolutely.
0: And and we want to also acknowledge that if you are feeling down, if you feel like you might be depressed or you are suffering from uh, any mental health issues, to be honest and open and connect with people that can help you because there are people out there
1: that can help. Absolutely. Reach out. That's, it's, you know, above and beyond what your friends can do sometimes. And a mental health professional can definitely help you work with it.
0: And don't deny it. I think, you know, and it's, it's hard to admit, like you said, this episode and last episode, that it's a really big step in, in seeking professional help, but it's not something that you should be scared of. People are there to, to assist you that know what you're going through. And it might not be someone, if you don't feel comfortable disclosing this to someone close to you, that you can seek,
1: you can seek help and it's a non-judgmental environment. Absolutely. And the first step in that is non-judgment on yourself. So totally. just peeling off that layer of ick that we put on. We're already experiencing depression, already experiencing stress or anxiety, whatever it is. We add that other layer of I shouldn't be experiencing this. What does this mean about me? It means something bad about me. Peeling that off entirely and just kind of going with what comes up and addressing it as needed.
0: Oh, you're amazing.
1: Oh, thank you. You're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, These are all I, great issues.
0: They are, but but I'm really happy we're talking about them because I know that, you know, planning a wedding is – majority of the time a wonderful experience, but I think a, a majority of the wedding media uh, would never touch on these sort of topics and I'm proud to be able to do that here and have the the medium of podcasting to be able to have someone like you on the show and and be able to share your insights because I know it's incredibly valuable um, to educate and empower yourself with this information and for me. That's the power air quotes that I have to be able to do that. So I'm incredibly grateful for you sharing your Sunday morning when we are recording this with me and my wonderful bride chillers and groom chillers, Dr. Lindsay Beer. And please, again, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how people can get in touch with you one-on-one and work with you, especially if they are planning a wedding, feeling a little stressed or overwhelmed because you can save their bacon.
1: Absolutely. Just go to my website, com L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-B-I-R-A. On there, you can look at my therapy and coaching services, and there's a link for marriage and wedding. So through that, you can see what I offer. I do sessions around the world via Skype or phone, um, and it can really help. It can help you and your partner prepare for staying in touch with each other and just connecting through this whole stressful experience, it can help you as a bride, making sure that you have the skills to keep everybody on board to manage your own stress and make this a success. Um, so feel free to go to that. Send me an email, give me a call, whatever is easiest for you. I offer a 10 minute free consultation and we can talk about things from there. Oh, do it today. Seriously, jump on board. And thank you, Alicia, for offering this platform to people who are going through this, because I think the commercial wedding world does not look like the reality.
0: (laughs) I couldn't agree more. I couldn't Mm -hmm. agree more. And I think this idea of perfection and this dream wedding bullshit that people keep sprouting out, it's just not what it's all about. It's really overlooking the reality of what you're doing and uh, what you can achieve, really.
1: Right. And everything that we see on Facebook, Instagram, that's the the outcome, the professional pictures. We do not see the dirt that went on behind the scenes. So it feeds into that cognitive bias that everything else is fine for everyone else.
0: Dr. Lindsay, I would love to have you back on the show, especially to talk a little bit about uh, how pre-wedding one-on-one relationships with your partner I had a a really interesting email recently asking for this sort of topic to be covered especially when she said that uh I'm sorry I can't remember her name off the top of my head but she was saying about you know in the olden times people would go to a priest and they would give you some advice before you got married but then again you know who are priests really to tell you about how to make a relationship work (laughs) (laughs) um But it would be great to connect with you again uh, in the very near future to perhaps give some pointers, tips, you know, practical advice about how we can nurture our relationships during this stressful time, but also to help in the future, how you could really get involved and and communicate better with your other half.
1: Absolutely. The earlier the people. Talk about this stuff; the better you are, setting yourself up for good things to come. If you gain skills and a plan of action to connect for years to come, so I think we've entered a day and age where we're not all Catholic. We, you know, a lot of people aren't going to church anymore and are maybe spiritual or not, but maybe religion is not a piece of their life. And that's also a service I offer: is from a secular perspective, how can we stay connected and be the healthiest versions of ourselves with skills for? A lifetime, um, and I think that that is very important for every couple.
0: Well, let's get it. Let's get it. We'll book it in. We will come back and we will great. talk about that.
1: I'm excited. Okay, great, me too. Yay!
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. I hope Bride Chiller's listening. If uh, you have a question for Dr. Lindsay, write to me. Write to Lindsay as well. Get in touch with both of us, and I will make it happen because I think. Uh, well, look, I just as I said, I want to keep you for myself. You're amazing. (laughs) Well, I'm happy to be here. I think you're amazing.
1: (laughs) This is a great duo. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. And I hope uh, out there, bride chillers and groom chillers, you're having a fabulous week and we have uh, changed your perspective or at least expanded your perspective on anxiety, mental health, and weddings. Until next week, until Thursday's episode of the Save the Date Wedding Podcast, happy days. The Bride Chilla podcast. The only place a cookie cutter should be used is in the kitchen. Am I right?